Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action Podcast, where we hear from people across the U.S. that share their stories about work they are doing in their local community with a common goal of taking green action that helps care for people and wildlife and the environment in our local towns and cities. Our goal is that we might be able to learn from and inspire each other while we find our own solution-based action that lets us live meaningful, sustainable, eco-friendly lives while cleaning, protecting, and repairing the environment. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with a couple that is successfully growing many of their own foods using permaculture concepts in the small yard of their condominium and now teach others how to garden successfully. I'm speaking with Nikki and Dave Schauder. Nikki and Dave have a large family, and when their children started developing severe allergies, decided that switching to safer, more nutritious foods was going to be part of the solution. They came across permaculture and decided that there was no better way to ensure healthy foods than to grow it themselves. They now grow a quarter of their own food for their family of eight. They are both passionate about helping families grow more of their own foods as well. Together, they now run permaculture gardens at growmyownfood.com, where they educate people for free with webinars, educational blogs, and a garden mentoring program to help families grow abundantly. Permaculture Gardens has received the Most Sustainable Brand Award at the Green Festivals, and Nikki and Dave's work has been featured in the Huffington Post, Permaculture Research Institute in Australia, and greenamerica.org. They have also started a permaculture garden after-school program for a local elementary school. Welcome, Nikki and Dave. Uh, thanks. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited to speak with you both and find out more about your path that led you to teaching people how to use permaculture to grow their own foods in their yard. So what planted the seeds for you both initially to start taking some kind of green action? So our children, our first two, were born with severe allergies almost from the get-go. They had these allergies the first few months of their life. And um, they were so severe. My first one had fish, was uh, was allergic to wheat, dairy, milk, um, beef, eggs, eggs, chicken, peas, and of course, nuts and peanuts. So we started um, buying organic. Buying organic. Well, not right away. We we started trying to do with the the chemical things that they recommend, nutramogen. Um, they recommended that I don't breastfeed her and um, almost there was nothing 10, how old is she, 13, 13 years ago that was as convenient as it is today. So we had to create our own flower mixes and there was only one, I remember there only being one allergy-free cookbook at that time that I could purchase. So that that started it. And then that was the, like next, the big trigger. That was the big trigger and we started questioning the food system because why were we not born with allergies why were allergies rising in the u.s only and um at that time we were still eating mcdonald's and shopping i think throughout my pregnancy i went to kfc like almost every every week um shopping at costco Um, i know now there's organic stuff in costco but we still don't buy from costco um and uh that started led us to, to to question the food system in the first place and so Dave you grew up yeah so I'd gardened before and it was kind of around this time we were we were buying organic food which was expensive but then um, I, I had tried 
starting a garden in my backyard and it didn't do so well. And after investigating, I discovered this thing called permaculture. And I, I thought it wasn't so, it, so much the, the plants that I had, had tried, but more like the soil. And that's how we got into, uh, we discovered permaculture. And it's, it's kind of been this runaway ride since we discovered permaculture. So uh, just to explain a little bit about what permaculture is, it's uh, this approach to gardening that where you take into account nature. So you're kind of working with nature, you're designing these systems to, to be, to mimic nature. And as partners with nature, it's It's amazing how abundant, like in our small condominium, in a small space, we can still generate hundreds of pounds of, of food. So I think uh, seeing these other uh, examples of people who had grown huge amounts of food, it really motivated Inspired us. us. And then we saw there was this open space in our children's school because we send them to the public school, which is walking distance from us. And there are, when they constructed the schools around here, they always made sure to have a mm, courtyard garden. And for most schools in this area, that courtyard garden is not used, but for a few where teachers or parents have taken the initiative to sort of build that garden up with different gardening projects, and now it's becoming more trendy. So when we we saw that space, we thought, well, this would be perfect to start a garden for the kids here, and it's more space than our backyard. <laughs> And to experiment, so we always have that sort of experimental um, research and development mindset in growing and teaching. And we even wanted to, you know, that. So that's what sparked it. That I saw that, and it would just just it wouldn't leave my mind that I could see myself um, walking through there and teaching the kids through there and having the classes outside. And the picture evolved throughout the years of what that garden eventually looks like. Right now, it's run down. <laughs> We're asking permission to to come and clean it, um, clean it up. But teachers are still going in there and, and trying to clean it, hoping that whenever it reopens again, school reopens again, they'll be able to use the spaces for teaching. Nice. Nice. So after you decided to start growing your own foods, how did you get started? So Nikki had signed up for uh, what's called a permaculture design course, which it's kind of like a week-long intensive 72-hour course where you learn uh, all the, the high points of permaculture. And then we applied that in our backyard. So we I had set up some raised beds along our uh, back fence. And then we, we tried initially the, those first one or two years. But it, it still was a pretty steep learning curve because a lot of it is just observing the, all the different all the context of your, your, your garden. So the, the sun, how it hits. It, we didn't even realize that our uh, backyard faces north and we only got six months of sun. So all these little things that you, you pick up along the way. Yeah, I distinctly, and I still remember, and I try to remember because for our client, being in the first beginner stage of not knowing anything really and not knowing whether, you know, they say in permaculture that you have to mulch with straw, but if I mulch with straw, it's going to stifle my seeds. Well, how exactly is that supposed to work? You know, and a lot of these things are experiential learning. And so we failed in a lot of ways, <laughs> testing and trying and uh, reading the books, going back in and the books, trying to find as much research, calling our teacher and asking him like, it says don't till, but then our soil is so rocky, like how all these things that are sort sort of touch and feely. And 
um, I, I still carry that like empathy for anybody who is just starting out because I re remember how confusing and difficult it was for us to begin. It kind of motivated us to actually get into educating people about how to how to uh, convert their garden into a kind of a permaculture abundant garden because um, we discovered that there's a lot of information about agriculture out there, but it's very it's very dispersed and it's very hard to kind of. I'm a by trade a software engineer, so I'm of course I'm I'm thinking all along about you know why isn't this information in centralized databases and why can't you search this and it's all it tends to be in like forums these long forums where you spend hours pouring through and then you realize that your situation is slightly different than whatever was in the forum. And so, that's still in our heart. Like in our heart, it's still like, well, how can we create that database or how can we have something centralized location of information where people can come and find something in an easier way than how we, we discovered it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine. How is your condominium yard set up? Is it like, is it being seen by other people in the complex? Did you have any problems with your neighbors if that was the case or how did that work? So in the front yard, we, we had tried to pretty much, so in permaculture, you can get a little carried away in uh, focusing on the production of your garden. And then you don't worry so much about the aesthetic. So initially we got in trouble with the HOA, which basically, I think I was doing an experiment with 50 foot pumpkin vines in the front yard. <laughs> yeah, and I, I bought a cattle fence panel from Tractor Supply Company and put it right in the middle of the front lawn. So and objectively, so, yeah, yeah, it, it was kind of an ugly. eyesore. So after some negotiations with the HOA, we, we kind of pulled it back and we have more of a edible landscaping front yard where it's uh, there's a lot of pollinators and the things that are edible are very pretty and they kind of fit into the the whole aesthetic of the front so we no longer have any problems with the HOA in the, in well, the front. Well, <laughs> that's not true. We have a problem every year. Every year we we manage or this year, like every every year they'll send us a letter and then we'll say what exactly what it is what is it that you would like to take out because it's it'll always be something a little vague, like you're not trimming your yard. And then like exactly how how would you like us to trim it? And they were they wanted exactly they said, Oh, trim the ivy, that's the the brick facade. And so I intended that was not ivy it was actually grapes and i intended i wanted that intentionally to go up the brick facade because then i was i was the hottest part of the house is the front and i wanted that to be cooler when you enter the house and so i wanted that those grapes to go up there and grapes like the sun we had a really good production that year but we had to pull them out this early this year so there are no more grapes in the front um and then yeah, they wrote another letter. And every time they write a letter, I cry. And I'll post something on Instagram that's like, help me write to my HOA. In the backyard, they're a little more tolerant. So we have a fence around our, our backyard. And we've pretty much converted it There's a, into a food forest. So there's a number. Even though there's raised beds, we've put in a bunch of dwarf fruit trees. Uh, if you want to get a lot of production out of a small space and you do have a, a decent amount of sun, that's a really productive way of you. We escalated our our little dwarf fruit trees, so we have maybe eight or nine uh, fruit trees in our backyard. You want to explain to somebody or just what that is? 
in case I don't know what Aspelier is. So Aspelier is just, um, you put the tree right up against the fence and then you train using guide wires that have run horizontally at different levels. You, you kind of prune and train the tree to grow along those guide wires. So it's growing these lateral branches out to, uh, to either side. And it, so it, it, it's really kind of becomes part of the fence. So it doesn't really take up a lot of room. And it's not hard to do. You basically just tie the branches when they're still young in, with a string, any string you can find to the guide wire. So as long as you can, I did it myself. The word is fat, seems fancy, but it's really a simple process. Tie it to the, to the string, tie it to the guide wire. Um, but you also asked us, where, um, how did our neighbors react? And it wasn't so much our neighbors reacting in a bad way. It was really the HOA that reacted more in the negative way. The neighbors, they're, they're you know, growing things <laughs> in the front more than we are. So um, we have a very ethnic neighborhood here. Um, I know at one point in one of the schools around here, there were like 52 different countries represented in one school. I, I don't know if that was, that was Guilford. So it's a, a few, a few blocks down, not the one right next to us. And I imagine it's pretty much the same in our school. So we have like a Vietnamese lady who grows Chinese dates and she exchanges her dates for like seeds that we have. We used to have before COVID, a uh, seed starting party where we just ask anybody who we knew were gardeners on the block or we saw had gardens, we just knock on their door and say, if you want to come to our seed starting party, we're just giving away trays and, and you can start your own seeds, bring your seeds. Uh, we, we made it into a meetup. So we met some of the neighbors there and a Bangladeshi neighbor, Akrima, who I just gave a pawpaw to. She loves Papa, but she doesn't speak a word of English, and we just trade things, seeds for her. Better not her squash, her squashes grow up trees. She trains it up the, <laughs> the trees. In the it's it's so fun to see how you know ethnic groups will different techniques that they they use. Um, so there, it's been it's oh, and one of our clients who became our clients was our neighbor, and we transformed her backyard as well in a sort of perma blitz event, like a one day that's get your garden installed event with our husband and Dave and I and the kid. And that was really, that was one of our first projects. So it was very moving for us. We're still good friends and she moved away, but her garden is still productive. I, I sneak a peek into the backyard every now and then and, and see the stuff still growing. So there's a legacy left behind by what she'd done. Oh, that's great. So what are some of the ways that you help people in your webinars and consulting services? So we, we like to do a range of topics. We'll kind of plan ahead for the year. We like to get a diverse, uh, we're real kind of plant nerds. So in Virginia here, there's a, a annual uh, conference of organic uh, farmers. We take our whole, we drag all of our kids along to that. And we meet all kinds of interesting people there. So we, we do topics ranging from growing mushrooms in a, in a small spaces to composting, to growing uh, three-dimensionally, so growing in vines so that you can maximize your space. So there's, there's a wide range of topics and then we get a lot of guest speakers as well. Yeah, this year we had a bee webinar, one on canning. 
one on composting, one on creating a food forest from somebody we met when we did a cross-country trip to the West Coast. We went to Portland and there's um, a food forest there called the Sherrod Food Forest. And she gave talk about how she designed her food forest. My teacher gave a talk on whole house agriculture. That was last month. And then this uh, month, uh, we were having an author named Owen Wormser, who's going to talk about the ecological importance of converting lawns into meadows. So that'll be interesting. Next month, fermentation. And I think that's it for the year. <laughs> we try to do one every month, but then we try to do, as the seasons progress, just like winter comes, we also try to hibernate so that we can create more more well-thought-out content on the website and um, plan our gardens for the next year very thoughtfully. Nice. Nice. So what do you find that, you know, people that are new to gardening often struggle with initially? So a lot of it is their experience. Their typical experiences when they first start gardening is they just go to a big box home, home improvement store and purchase some seeds. And then they have a, a bad experience. They just planted these seeds and they didn't get a, a, a lot of success with those. Or they, they bought some seedlings and maybe they grew pretty well, but the varieties that they offer in these stores aren't very interesting. So a lot of the problems that we see initially is just getting used to this idea that you can start things quite easily from seed and that it's you can get a lot of seedlings. It brings you to the point that you never want to buy seedlings anymore. So it's just it's usually just an initial mindset, like I can start things from seed. So over the years, we've kind of refined that and we start very simply with sprouting usually because that's that gives them an immediate success in one to two weeks they've got a whole tray of sprouts and it, it really uh, opens their eyes to the, the power of seeds and how they can germinate we found that to be a pretty good transition and then people some people just take off after that so it's it's very gratifying to see so when people ask us where do we start we usually say start with sprouting and we have an introductory course I just want to do that as well. But it's a part of our overall flagship program, Grow It Yourself. Excellent. So what are maybe some of the challenges that you've faced while growing your own foods and now as educators? Um, challenges as gardeners, definitely unpredictability of pests or what diseases you're going to get this year. And more or less, that's become less, less pre more predictable. Except for this year, we've had, for instance this threat of the spotted lanternfly. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but in the Northeast, so they're uh, an invasive from Asia. I'm not sure exactly where I should probably know this, but they're right now in Pennsylvania. And so one of our clients was already telling us about this. I have this, this um, infestation of spotted lanternfly and we didn't know what to say, except that we do have like, there's this one remedy that mu mushrooms, um, fungi, specific fungi that are saprophytic can be trained to actually uh, target, be target specific. So only kill certain bugs that you'd like. And so that would be like an, an, an organic way to do it. So that one as so, educators. So yeah, a lot of it is just educators because somebody will come to us with a problem and they're very <laughs> adamant about the, you know, it's really affecting it's really them. It's really stressing them out. And then uh, 
you you want to say the permaculture thing and say, oh well, it's diversity and. And we do say that. You have some wins and you have some losses, but for these people, you know, it can be very personal for some of these things, especially when you're just getting started. So just being able to help them and encourage them so they don't they don't get disillusioned. So that's I would say that's a challenge as an educator in terms of actual growing things. Well, plant systems are always full of surprises. So there's always like interesting things. We we I try to come up with seven or eight different projects that I, I do each year where I'm trying a new variety of some kind of plant or growing it in a different way, things like that. So for example, last year I grew peanuts. I never tried growing pre- peanut and that was one of the successful things, but then you have these failures as well. So I think there's, it's just learning to be flexible and, and adaptable to, so there's always going to be challenges like you mentioned with the lanternfly or there's going to be things that come into the, the garden but the great thing about permaculture is that uh, even if you have some things that don't do so well uh, one of the big things is to have a diversity of species growing uh, uh, one of the ways we kind of simplify that to annual systems is if, if you look at what most people eat in terms of vegetables there's seven plant families that most people you, you have uh, should I get your list? <laughs> I don't want anyway, to do yeah, it too yeah. long. Yeah, but but um, then you build redundancies. Yeah, in the so that maybe one of the plant families gets targeted. All the solanaceous, all the tomatoes, and everything gets wiped out. But if you're growing all something from all of those seven different plant families, it's highly unlikely that all of those are going to be targeted at the same time, but in the same way. So you're going to get some successes every year. That's a good idea, actually. And I don't think I've ever heard it phrased like that before. That's helpful. So how do you deal with building soil? Do you um, make your own compost or do you suggest people purchase it in a certain place that you know of? Or how do you approach that aspect? So permaculture is uh, inherently cyclical or ideally cyclical, like the spiral. You try to be zero waste. You try to have more output than you put in every year. And it's iterative, so every year it gets better and better. So in terms of soil, the ideal would be through composting, create your own soil so that you're not relying on outside uh, sources to produce that soil for you or haul in, eventually get to the point where you don't haul in that topsoil for your initial garden install. Now, that being said, we meet people where they are because we were ground zero at the start and we created our garden hauling topsoil that was taken from some other place that created that soil into our garden. But from that on, you start with that and then you try to build that soil more and more so that you're less and less reliant on any external um, forces. But we do have, you know, we, we, have we definitely recommend resources. Now, that, yeah. yeah, when you, you're starting out, there's an organization called the U.S. Composting Council that has local composting resources. So you can find in your estate some local sources where you can get compost. So that's usually a good place to start to see if there's anything that's within striking distance of you where you can get a local source of compost just to get you started. And then it's, yeah, like Nikki mentioned, it's one of these things that a lot of it is not just composting. A lot of it is what you're growing. If you grow more perennials or, or tap, uh, deep tap-rooted plants, these things start to slowly mine and convert the soil 
it's amazing that the transformative properties of these things, the, the fungi in the soil combined with these dynamic accumulators can really, within a couple, just a couple of years, can really transform what seems like poor soil into very rich tilth. Now, if that's not where you are, if you're, well, I just wanted to start with sprouting, then then by all means, you need to buy the bag that's most convenient to you because you have to start somewhere. And uh, we just recommend people buy like stuff that says organic, preferably not miracle Grow. <laughs> or, yeah, something or something that's, that's already, already or spots that that might have some potential fertilizers although some you know some other people will argue that you know it's great that these guys are already converting to become more organic you know the mainstream is becoming more organic so whatever really will help you get started that's where you start use what you have do what you can with what you have got it so what are some of the ways that you and others are now enjoying the rewards of your work well i think one of the most rewarding is when i tell the clients that we have especially those who've been with us for two years and i tell them so how much did you you weigh your produce i'm like no i didn't weigh your produce i didn't weigh my produce and i go like do you realize that every pound is six dollars and so they start weighing their produce and then it's like this um, lady from arizona arid climate said they already hit the 300 pound mark half year half year and so that's times six then you have like 1800 dollars in savings and then you think about this is like one mom she has i don't know five kids or something and she's also building a garden in her school. And you think the power of that, like we want her to be a hub there for people to look at and, and demonstrate how they can do it as well in Arizona. I think that's like yeah. the, the direct economic benefit, but then there's all these follow on effects mm. of gardening, as you well know, just the, the health benefits that I used to get a lot of food poisoning, maybe once a year, I'd have some kind of issue. And ever since we've done this, I, you know, our visits to the doctors are much less. Just the, the health costs have dropped a lot because we're generally healthier. The things we're eating really, tre- you are what you eat. The allergies are less now. My daughter only has allergies to nuts. And my son has some legume allergies. The second one was also allergic, but after those two, the four others, <laughs> um, they are allergy-free for the most part. So I think there is something to be said about making sure that you're, you know where your food is coming from and that's a, that it, it is a clean source, no chemicals, pesticides. And at one point, I had done an analysis of gardening versus other potential things you could do to modify your your lifestyle to go green things like making your house solar or buying a solar car or going zero waste and ideally everybody is doing a little bit of all of these things together but just in terms of the impact on uh on the planet really if the more that you can grow locally that's one of the greenest things that you can do in terms of you're not shipping things from halfway across the world you're not wasting any food because you just harvest it whenever you're about to eat it. So there's a, there's a lot of these subtle things. Yeah, and composting is not just zero waste. Composting is negative waste because then you're actually building, capturing the carbon in your, your compost. Plus, uh, people say, like, I have no time to garden. 
and I I just came across somebody who was trying to trying to be more productive, and his productivity tip was, I have this list, I, it's really good, and I walk out the door, and for instance, my wife said something like, get the raspberries. Uh, I can walk out the door with this list, <laughs> and the image in my mind is like, oh, of course, you walk out the door and you just grab these raspberries, and what he meant was like he was going to drive, so when he gets to, to his car, he'll drive down and not forget to pick up raspberries from the grocery, and I thought, oh, well, how time-saving or how like lack of productivity is that? <laughs> because then um, by growing your own food, you really have that power to just reach out, go to the backyard and get what you need right there and then, and not have to waste time and for them in the grocery aisles. Yeah, excellent. So if your ideas and your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up into seeds of potential action f- to give to others, what advice would you give to someone that might be considering this in their own local area? So that's it, one of the things that we've slowly started to, to move to is kind of analyzing our own experiences as we went through this journey and try to figure out how we can start more of a grassroots effort nationally so that other people can kind of experience that same kind of experience but in a little more organized a little more social and community way so one of the things that have been big for us is uh, seeing demo garden because a lot of these things it's hard to visualize what they what they look like and I, I think one of the, the first things that we'd like to do is to be able to organize a lot of the information currently is all spread out on where you can go to a demo garden near you. So that's one of the very first things that we'd like to do is at least have an online tool where people can find, okay, 25 miles from me, I can find a permaculture demo garden that I can go and see all these things that have been growing for like 10 years. And it's, it's super inspirational when you see a lot of this stuff growing and you realize the potential. It can be sometimes daunting when you start thinking about some of the, the complexity in the relationships between these plants. But when you actually see these things and you're like, whoa, I could do this in my yard. I think for me too, those who are thinking to do this locally is to educate themselves first. And in our case, for me, I always... I. I have been mulling over this one quote from Lao Tzu, I think, lately, and it's, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. When the student is truly ready, the teacher disappears. And and I like that a lot because I want to be that teacher. I, I'm still a student also. I want to find other teachers to help me learn and grow more. But for our students, for our clients, I want to be that teacher that appears when they need it. And then when they're ready, I want them to be the teachers for other people. And I don't want to hoard, we don't want to hoard all the information ourselves, which is kind of currently, we always, we see that people come to us and we like, we don't like uh, us being the only source of that information. We really want this to be grassroots and recreated in the different areas, localities that people are, because it appears in a different way in different climates in different growing zones and it's beautiful to see these patterns take form in different ways but there there is like these patterns that have to be learned and so it's kind of yeah, like we've it. forgotten because during world war ii uh through the these these uh, victory gardens so a lot of the food production was actually local in people's backyards and it made it it was a significant percentage i forget exactly 25 to 40 i think 
80% of the total vegetable production was in people's backyards. So I think that's, it can be, it has been done, but people have kind of with their lifestyles, they've forgotten some of this stuff. So we'd like to move back to that kind of like, in the in the long run, locally produced food is the only sane <laughs> choice. It doesn't make sense, really. You have this perishable item that affects your health. It doesn't make any sense, really, to be shipping it all over the place in, a, in this kind of like monocrop way when you can grow it effectively locally. The kind of vision that we want to move people back to that uh, situation. Yeah. That's that's excellent. So what resource would you like to recommend, maybe aside from your classes, um, books or websites, films that have been maybe um, particularly helpful and informative to you both? So I'll start with a book and then we'll do a website and then we'll do a film. So I, for the book, I would recommend the Permaculture Designer's Manual by Bill Mollison. I myself have been trying to review it again because it's so rich. And it's a good basis for other books that you will be inclined to read after. Which is- yeah, I would say that that that's good in terms of just a Zen thing, you know, kind of changing your mindset to think about things in a completely different way. Uh, in terms of like a more practical, practical hands-on book, I'd probably recommend uh, John Jevons' Grow Even More Vegetables because going back to the seed starting, there's other things in that book, but the real interesting part is it goes through that whole process of how in a uh, 10 to 20 seed tray, uh, it's kind of like this long 20 inch by 10 inch seed tray, you can start hundreds of seedlings. And that really uh, opened our eyes in terms of, you know, you can, you can produce a whole season's worth of plants for multiple families in a single tray of, of seeds that you've started. And he goes through all the different. He's, he's done a lot, years and years of analysis and on this research. So he updates every so often. So there's an eighth edition now. And it's a real firm pro- proponent of starting your seeds indoors and then transplanting them outside. So I think that's a real great practical book in terms of mastering the art of growing the annual veggies and starting things from seed and then transplanting them outside. And then in terms of a website, uh, 10th Acre Farm for the suburban people. Uh, this is a friend of ours who actually helped us to set up our own garden through her blog, 10th Acre Farm, is a great suburban small space permaculture resource, super solid, and Seed Savers Exchange. I guess just for mushrooms, there's a there's an informative, they, they do sell mushroom powders, but they they also have a lot of information about growing mushrooms it's uh fresh cap oh fresh cap mushrooms they have a lot of blogs on how easy it is to get started growing your own mushrooms very very, like good educational blog as well and then a film that has been particularly helpful seed the untold story for me uh greening the desert a documentary by jeff lawton and john liu's lowest plateau regreening or ecosystem-based, he has a shorter version, 36 minutes, ecosystem-based adaptation. And that one is just showing how a degraded, a degraded <laughs> plateau, like a large place in China was regreened through ecological efforts and WALL-E, the Disney, <laughs> the Disney movie WALL-E. That's a great 
Oh, we don't want to be like Wally, basically. Yes, because it's like shocker. Like when that scene comes in Wally, where he's shot out of space, see that planet that you've trashed. That's heartbreaking. So, what classes or educational opportunities do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Well, of course, we have our flagship program, Go It Yourself, which is a gardening garden mentoring program and a gamified course all in one. So we reward our clients with plants, with stuff in the mail, as soon as they finish a course or a certain part, you know, to keep them motivated to grow. And then we have Start With Sprouting, which is our like little mini course. And Dave is soon to be launching a Kickstarter called... Yeah, we haven't got a name for the software quite. It's basically it a, a garden design the program. Garden designer. Quite often, when you're figuring out, once you get a little a little further ahead in your gardening journey, you start thinking about things like crop rotation and how to maximize your space and where everything goes. And it can get a little overwhelming when you're growing like 50 or 100 different species of plants. And so this the idea of this software is just to manage that a little bit better for you to generate reminders and, and tie in uh, weather climate information to give you recommendations on things like planting windows for your for your climate. And um, the free educational webinars that we have coming up is that Lawns into Meadows by Owen Wormser. It's next week. September, September 16th, depending on when your air date is. We'll have another webinar the next month, October. So. And what, what is your website again? growmyownfood.com growmyownfood.com we are permaculture gardens and on instagram we're slash permaculture underscore garden excellent yeah well thank you both for um sharing this with our listeners i really appreciate it thank you so much for what you do jenny thanks for joining us for local share green action until next time let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.